Welcome to Raising Up Cops, a podcast about raising Coptic kids in Western culture, hosted by Madonna Lewindi and me, Laura Michael. Right, and it is August, so schools are almost back in session. If they aren't already for some folks, I did see some people already went back. And that can mean a lot of different things, right? So some people are worried, some people are excited. Some people, this is like the same old thing they've been doing for years. And for others, they're sending their babies off for the first time. So we decided that this month, we're going to focus on all things school related, whether that's like common concerns or some tips for success, maybe even different types of learners and how to motivate them. So Madonna and I are teachers and we feel like maybe we could fill in the gap for some of our listeners based on kids we've seen and the struggles that we've we've walked them through. So today we want to talk specifically about motivation and we're going to try to talk about it from the perspective of different types of kids, different types of learners. And I feel like this would be great for all ages, but we will try to also specifically touch on the difference between motivating a teenager versus motivating elementary school kids. So let's get started. Um, Madonna, the first kid we want to talk about is the self-motivated kid. Have you ever met one of those people? I have. I had a student in fourth grade who always went above and beyond for everything. I mean, if you tell her, like, draw a picture of a dog, she drew a picture of the most gorgeous dog in a valley doing this and doing that. And it was always this amazing final product. And it was not pushed on at all by her parents. This was totally internally her thing. Yeah. And I have one of those. My daughter is like that. She's very self-motivated. And one of the things I learned is that all the things that I use to motivate myself, someone who's more of a slacker, actually have an adverse effect on her. So if I tried to like set a timer or rush her in any way, she would kind of freak out a little bit. She would become very anxious because she's already putting all that pressure on herself. So if you have a self-motivated kid, what I feel like they really need is some space, some, some respect, some, um, some quiet and allowing them to sort of take the lead on their own learning. Yeah. You get to the point with a self-motivated kid that you realize they've got it under control. They really don't need you to be like, you don't really need to be there unless they ask for you to be there, which can be tough for a lot of parents because they want to see what's happening and they want to give their advice and they want to say like, I would do it differently, but you got to know your kid. They're self-motivated. They're already, just like Laura said, asking themselves all the right questions. They're getting all their things prepared. They've got it completely under control. Yeah. I remember when we were getting ready for the science fair, I I'm sort of more obsessive about graphic design and that kind of thing. And I started pushing a little bit um, about how we would style the board. And at some point she just had to say, mom, I got this, please Mm. go away. (laughs) (laughs) And, you know, uh, thank God she did very well on the, on the science fair experiment and all of that. So um, I feel like space and tools and that the, there is a huge, temptation as parents to um, push them even harder, to pressure Mm -hmm. them even more. I mean, look what they can do on their own. What if I like drove them forward? Um, And I think we need to be really careful not to do that. Um, We don't want to, I have seen self-motivated kids, for example, in high school, I had a friend who had to take a year off because she's so self-motivated. And then her parents pushed her even more that she got to the point where she kind of cracked and she needed a whole year off. Um, to recover. And so let's not do that to our kids. If they're doing well, let's applaud them for that and give them some breathing space uh, and not add to the, to the stress and strain. Speaking of stress, 
Our next type is the anxious type, the type that are always worried. They're always freaking out about something, maybe a little bit more disorganized. Um, have you ever met somebody like that, Madonna? Yes. My daughter is like that. And you'll see that I talk a lot more about my daughter in, uh, when it comes to school, because she's the one that I've had to work harder at figuring out. She's the one that I've had to try really a lot of different things to be able to understand what would help her. And I realize she's only five, but that's how many things we've seen already. Um, and she's definitely the very anxious type. She overthinks before she does anything. Um, she's the type that will shut down if she doesn't think she can do it well. So it's almost like a performance anxiety. Um, and so you have to really understand what the need of the assignment is and what her mode or her mental state is in that moment before I can tell her what she needs to do next. Um, and for her, one of the things that helps her is taking that anxiety of performance, the, the stress of performing well off of her. So if I say, no matter what you do, as long as you're doing your best, or as, no matter what you do, I'm always going to love you. That seems to be enough for her to kind of get her to be like, okay, if I, one of the things that I just recently, just very recently discovered really helps her is saying, no one is going to look at what you do. Everyone just like, no one cares how you perform. People love you because you're you. That took a lot of, it, she asked me directly, are you sure nobody cares how I do? Nobody cares what I do? Yes, I promise. Nobody cares. You are loved because you are Elise. That's it. That like opened up and broke down so many walls for her. Yeah, I think it's amazing how much, um, how much personality plays a part. And um, another thing I was thinking is how much, let's say the anxiety is not coming from performance, but it might, maybe it's coming from a, like a lack of organization. And for those people, um, for those kids, you setting up some kind of comforting, familiar routine, having them, um, you know, having them have their desk that they know about and having the papers in order and helping them kind of um, feel reassured by their environment instead of adding to the anxiety by kind of a, a chaotic home environment. Uh, an anxious homework doer shouldn't be sitting at the kitchen table trying to juggle what they're doing while you're cooking or something like that. Yes. And I, and that's great advice, Laura, because one of the things that I did that did really help, and I didn't connect it until you just said that was I gave my daughter her own pencil box where she puts all of her tools that she needs at home for getting work done. And it's, it has changed her. She knows that she has this thing where she puts all her things in and she loves it. For sure. All right. The next type we're looking at is my type <laughs> and my son's type, which is the oppositional, stubborn, defiant, the one that doesn't want to do it, just doesn't want to do it. You've got to drag that kid um, into it. And let me tell you, dragging does not work. You cannot mm -hmm. drag someone who does not want to be dragged. If you are entering into a power struggle with a kid, you're going to lose because they're in charge of them in the end, not you. So uh, what I found is gamification makes a huge difference to this learning style. Um, oh man, these kinds of kids love a challenge. If you tell them they can't do it, all of a sudden it gets done faster and better than you could have imagined. Um, I love to um, just turn it into a game, take the power play out of it. For example, if my son has built a huge um, fort in the living room out of blankets and pillows and it is time to clean it up um, the right thing to do is to turn it into a game by saying for example um, 
you know what? I'm going to close my eyes and I bet you can't get everything put away in this amount of time. Or let me put on this song and I wonder how much we can get done before the song ends. Or um, if there's a mistake that, you know, he's made, I will say, I'm going to close my eyes and I, like I'll walk into a room, let's say, and he's left three bags of chips empty on the floor. I'll be like, oh, are those bags of chips? And I'll be like, oh, I can't see them. And I'll cover my eyes and I'll say, I, I can't see them. I can't see them. And I'll be like five, four, and he'll take care of it, right? Um, as a game, as a challenge without feeling like he's being told off about it. And I think just anytime you can diffuse a power struggle with a kid um, is excellent. Is an excellent plan. What do you think, Madonna? I, I think that's excellent advice, Laura. And I would describe my son as this, but he's also going to be four soon. So he's still three. So he's still in that like toddler phase. But I have noticed that if I go head to head with him, it just ends up in both of us having a tantrum. <laughs> like it's not just him. I will also have a full on tantrum. So what I've discovered is as long as I give him the illusion of choice, I and I also offer to um, be there with him while he does this thing that I need him to do, that usually diffuses and solves 99% of whatever is about to happen, right? So like, if I like need him to clean up something, I can either say to him, you need to clean this up right now, which will 100% be like, no, I'm not going to do it. And he'll run away and we'll both get very angry. Or I say something like, um, do you want to do all of the toys right now? Or do you want mommy to help you put them in with you or something like that? Or do you want to do the toys by yourself? Or do you want mommy to do a little bit and you do a little bit? And he'll be like, I can do them. Or I want mommy to help me. And that like immediately, like without any struggle, that's just what happens. And it's fine. So for sure, there is a like the thing about power struggle, whatever you can do to just kind of take away that element of I'm in charge and you're not, or I, you, you have to do what I say, whatever you can do to get rid of that dynamic is going to help with kids that are oppositional or stubborn or defiant. And I think you'll find the same when they hit teenage years, you won't be able to play with them in the same way, but that idea of giving them some kind of choice. Um, and also maybe at that age, giving them some space, I think one of the conversations that would really help if, you know, I think by the time this, this personality type gets to high school, they're stubborn in like the correct way. They, they care about their grades and they care about who they're going to be. And they're, they're using that to motivate them, at least in classes that they care about. Mm. Um, but let's say that you've got a kid who's stubborn and oppositional and it's high school and they're still not doing what needs to be done. Um, or you need them to work harder in a particular class or something like that. It really helps to explain why, or to have a conversation about how doing this aligns with their own goals. So again, putting the power back in their hands and saying, you know, I, I know that you want to get into a good school and, or let's say that kid has picked out their school. I know you want to get into Stanford and you know, Stanford's going to look at all of your grades. So even though you hate French and you don't want to do it, make sure you maintain above this, right? If you want to get into that school, reminding them of their why and making mm -hmm. it about them directing their life. Um, is, is a kind of gamification for them as well. So, which also helps them kind of focus on the big picture, you know, instead of being so um, bogged down by like, I really just don't like French. I'm like, I get it. I wouldn't like French either. French kind of sucks, right? <laughs> like, but if you want to get into this thing, right, this has to be part of the equation. So it's up to you. It's completely in your hands, but I'm just, you know, reminding you, this is part of the process of getting there. Yes. 
All right. Next up is the overactive. <laughs> yes. Oh, am I familiar with both of my kids in that scenario? <laughs> <laughs> the funny thing with overactive is it seems like such a problem. You know, they, they move so much and they're all over the place, but the solution is actually pretty straightforward. Yeah. And that solution is give them enough physical activity and room to do what their body needs to do. Um, and I will tell you that my daughter was getting into trouble a lot um, last year because she didn't want to sit still during things. She wanted to kind of bounce around and whatever. Um, and when her teacher would do a read aloud, her teacher reported to me that she was just kind of like wandering around. She wouldn't want to sit and whatever. But I noticed that in my house, I never have that problem. And the reason is because I would read to her a book while they were swinging in their swings. And so what we discovered is that she needed an extra sensory input in order to be able to calm her body and her mind enough to retain or accept any new information like listening or to a book. Um, and so what we, when I collaborated with the teacher, what we discovered is I, we gave her a little ball that she got to sit and squeeze and play with while she was listening. Now to the naked untrained eye, you see a kid sitting there playing with something you think they're not paying attention. They're not listening. Look at how fidgety they are. Look at how they're not like doing what they're supposed to do. But the fact of the matter is they're actually giving their body something to focus on. So it frees up their mind. Otherwise, all their mind is thinking about is how can I move? What can I do? What can I touch? What can I tear? What can I play with? So you have to give them some sort of outlet in that sense. If not in school, at least when they're out of school, right, Laura? Yeah, I was just thinking about how, you know, traditionally the rule is as soon as you come home, you have to finish your homework, right? Like your homework first, homework before play. With an overactive kid, you have to let them play and mm. then they will do their work. Um, sure, you want to balance it out. You want to make sure that they don't get so worn out. They can't do their homework and all of that good stuff. But just make sure that you are um, giving them time to get all of their wiggles out so that they can sit down and focus on a homework assignment or something along those lines. If they're older, if they're teenagers, make sure that they're in sports. Your, your teenage boys should all be in some sport. They should be moving. Their bodies need it. Um, it's just fundamental to their growth and their development. So make sure that you're taking care of that. I mean, obviously not boys only, um, but I'm just telling myself ahead of time before, before he gets to the teen years that he's going to need that. Yeah. And you'll find um, it, it's really hard to meet the needs of our kids sometimes when they are against what we like to do or what we are comfortable doing. So as much as I love nature, I'm not the type that likes to like go out in nature. <laughs> like I like to observe it from a distance. I don't like to go for walks in the middle of forests and all that stuff. However, my kids, they are different human beings when we do that. So it takes a lot of mental and physical effort on my part but it generally really helps the home environment when I get them outside, when I get them into nature, when I get them to be able to like run around and use their bodies and climb the tree and throw the rocks and do those things. Um, so it does take some effort on parents part too. Yeah. I love that you brought that up because that's very true. I mean, if it were up to me, there wouldn't be much physical activity, but I, I know what they need and I need to sacrifice for their needs so that mm -hmm. they can continue to grow in a healthy way. That's my responsibility as their parent. So that's amazing. Right. Okay. Our next type is 
the distractible type. Not not overactive exactly, just distractible. They're always the shiny object syndrome kid, right? There's always <laughs> something new to do. <laughs> I am well acquainted with these people because this is me. This is me to a T. I am not the type of person who can sit and finish something from beginning to end because I will chase the butterfly. And like you said, I will look at the tr- the shiny object. I have a very hard time with this. And so it came as no surprise when I passed these genetic traits on to my children who also have this problem. Now, I just touched on it a little bit, and that's it's really tough for me when it's not natural to me, right? I am not a person who's good at coming up with routines and coming up with plans and sitting in the quiet and like figuring stuff out. And so it's really hard for me to figure out how to do that with my own children, Um, but they thrive off of that. So for my distractible kids, they do much better when they know what to expect next. And it's kind of the same as it always has been. So the routine, for example, uh, before bedtime, no matter if we're at home or if we're on vacation or if we're visiting family, that routine stays the same. Does that mean that they just kind of like go through all the routine and get to bed and that's it? No, bedtime is always such like a chaotic time where there's lots of things happening. However, if I tell them like, go do what you need to do, they know what that is versus me being like, okay, now you need to, to brush your teeth. Remember, remember, brush your teeth. Okay. Now that you're done with that, um, um, what is it? I don't know. Like go read a book real quick or something. It causes a totally different environment for them to, to thrive in, right? Because if they're distractible, they're not going to be able to think about what needs to come next. They're going to just focus on whatever they want to do next, which could be anything. I think that's incredibly put. Um, I love what you said about them knowing what comes next. This, this goes for my son for his, you know, stubbornness, but also for a distractible kid. I remember one time I was trying to get them to do chores and he didn't want to, he didn't want to do the chores. Uh, I mean, who does, right? Like if you were going to be totally honest, I certainly don't want to do them. And so, (laughs) so what I discovered was all I had to do is write down the list of things I needed him to do and give him the list. And once I gave him the list, everything on the list got done. As mm-hmm. long as it wasn't me telling him, right? Me trying to like remind him at every step. And so for a distractible kid, that kind of like, you know, obviously if they're old enough to read, but a written down plan or even pictures. I remember my son loved it when his bedtime routine was like drawn in icons next to the bathroom. So it was like, first, we're going to brush our teeth, then we're going to put on our pajamas, then we're going to read a book, then we're going to turn off the light, whatever the order was, right? Whatever your routine is. And so putting that list of bedtime routine items in a way that's accessible to the kid that they can check on it and that when they're distracted, they can, all they have to remember is, oh, let me go back and look at the list. Let me go back and check the plan. Um, Having a way for them to just know what comes next, even if they've got it memorized at some point. Just know, knowing what comes next for a distractible kid means that they only have to check one thing, what comes next. That's the only thought that they have to have. And it's worth noting too, Laura, that like, again, it really depends on your kid, right? So for some kids, routines are great and they love it and they get used to it and they get into it. Some kids need change. Um, like I noticed that with my son, he does not particularly like being told to do the same thing over and over again. So I need to kind of keep it uh, fun for him, or I need to say like, 
okay, I, you know, when it's time for them to change into their pajamas, if I stand there and I'm like, it's time for you to change into their pajamas, they jump over the bed, they like crawl under the bed, they pull stuff out of their little drawers, that's like what they like, like to do. However, if I say, okay, like you were talking about gamification earlier, I say, okay, you change into your pajamas, and I'm going to go into my room and change into my pajamas. And when I come back, let's see if you're ready. Oh my goodness, immediately they're like, oh, okay, I got it, I got it. And they're like going forth and they're they're putting on their pajamas and they come and I specifically on purpose take a long time so that they can quote unquote beat me and come and be like, we won. I'm like, oh man, okay, good job guys. Let me come and do it now. And that seems to just make it so much easier. I don't know why. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely. I love that. I love competing with our kids and and they love winning. Oh, yes, they, do. <laughs> they sure do. Um, okay. And then the last type that we have here before we start having some general conversations on this is the clueless kid, your kid that comes home and has no idea what they're supposed to do. And the test is tomorrow and you didn't hear anything about a test or the project that was assigned a month ago. You hear about, you know, the night before. What, um, what advice do you have, Madonna, for dealing with a kid who just doesn't have it together at all? I had a student that really, really struggled with this. I mean, he always asked me to repeat what I said and always like, I feel like I, I made everybody repeat to me, what are you going to do now, now that like, it's time for independent work and they tell me, and then he's sitting there just like flipping through pages, has no idea what's going on. And, um, I remember what we ended up doing was I, you know, talked to his mom and I said, like, let's work together to figure out a plan here. Like what's going on. What we discovered after a lot of trial and error was I couldn't give him a ton of tasks at a time. So I had to give him like two things maximum that he could do at a time. So I say, first, get out your whatever book, and then you're going to pull out your notebook. And then once he did that, I would say, okay, now you're going to turn to page whatever, and you're going to write and answer the questions number one and three, for example. I could only give him two instructions at a time. And the other thing that I did was because his mom seemed to never know what was going on because he was not able to relay any of the information, was we made a decision that we got him a planner. And at the end of the day, I would have him write down his assignments and I would sign off on it. If at the end of the day, his, his mom got the planner and she realized that I didn't sign, she knew to email me and be like, is this right? Or um, we would know that like he did not do what he was supposed to do that day. My signing off was kind of like the uh, middleman between taking the stuff from school to home so that they could communicate. And it also gave him the responsibility of writing it down. So it didn't take him out of the equation because what I could have done was just email mom and said, here's what needs to be done. However, that was not going to teach him the executive functioning skills that he so desperately needed to work on. Yes. And I feel like this is super important in elementary and in middle school. So if your kid is in middle school and you find that things are falling through the cracks, it could be that he or she just has not developed the maturity yet to be able to handle you know, the, the tasks needed to perform well in school. And at that point, I think it is excellent to still work out a plan with the teacher. I love Madonna, what you said about not the kid does not get kicked out of the middle. As a middle school teacher, I really want to communicate directly with the kids. And I want the kids to be responsible for their work. But sometimes some kids need extra support. And so as a parent, make sure you're not taking over. Like you don't want to be um, the one who's you know, running the show, because that does not teach the child the 
the skills needed to succeed in high school and college and life. But at the same time, um, you don't want to, you know, like back off and let them collapse if, if they really have no idea what's going on. So using Madonna's idea, um, make sure that you are talking to the teacher and you're working out a plan, but you're keeping the child at the center of the plan. The child is the one who is responsible for passing something on, responsible for writing something down. Give the child enough tasks to slowly offload more on the child and less on you and the teacher. Yeah, I and I love that. And just something that we want to say, like, uh, really quick, we're going to go over what the, the different types that we nailed down. <laughs> There's the self-motivated kid who kind of just does everything on their own, doesn't need any support. There's the anxious kid who is very nervous about getting stuff done or doesn't know where to start for whatever reason. They need um, a specific type of help. There's the oppositional, stubborn, defiant kid, right? The one that really struggles with being told what to do and likes to kind of just do their own things. So there's a certain way you got to deal with them. There's the overactive kid who cannot seem to sit still no matter what happens. There's the distractible kid who can't stay on task to save their life. And then there's the clueless kid who just doesn't ever seem to know what's going on. They're not really ever with it. And all of these kids, you will find there is... Um, a lot of a lot of overlap, right? So you you will find that maybe the overactive kid is also the distractible kid and therefore the clueless kid, right? Because all they're thinking about is how do I get moving? So they can't think about what they need to do next and therefore they never know what is going on. Also, you can find that the anxious kid is the self-motivated kid, shockingly, right? The reason that they're so self-motivated is because they're anxious about what they have to do. And so it's like high performance anxiety. They got to really, really figure out everything that they need to do. So they're always worried. And therefore, they try to get everything done very quickly. You've got the oppositional kid who could also be the overactive kid, right? It's not that they don't want to do what you're telling them to do. It's just that they have a more immediate need that they really care about doing. And it is not what you're telling them to do. It's they want to climb the couch. It's really much more important at this moment. <laughs> really, it, it matters what I love Laura, she said um, before we kind of started recording was to be an observer rather than judging immediately. Can you talk more about that? Yeah, I think that's something that I learned the hard way in parenting these two particular children of mine, that a lot of times I would project either my own motivation or my own um, issues onto them, or I would um, jump to conclusions without really hearing them out. And what I've learned is that we need to take some time to really observe our kids, take a step back, take our own, you know, embarrassment, or our own, like, panic, our own you know, future thinking like, oh my God, if he doesn't finish this assignment, we're going to die sort of like perspective and just really look at the moment and, and, um, diagnose, you know, doctors don't treat a disease without diagnosing it first. So don't treat your kid's lack of motivation without first diagnosing. For example, if your kid suddenly, um, you know, your kid who was fine in elementary school and very smart in middle school, suddenly, drops grades in high school, do not panic and then just project all of your insecurities onto your kid. You need to take a step back and figure out what is wrong with your child. Something is actually wrong. You need to stop. And I'm not talking about wrong like they're stupid. I'm talking about something happened to change their motivation. Something Mm. has changed and you need to go in there as an observer and diagnose the problem, figure out what is going on behind the surface that you're seeing 
you know, don't just take the surface and then start to treat those symptoms. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that, um, like you were saying, you know, if we can find the root cause of something, like I mentioned earlier, the overlap, like you see that your kid is always distractible and clueless. If you study and observe long enough, you'll find these kids just need to go outside more. They just need more, um, you know, outlets for their energy. And once you've solved that problem, you'll find more and more pieces falling into place. And it, it's really difficult to sit back and to just watch what's going on. So one of the things that we talk about is asking questions, but not just questions like, why didn't you do your work, right? That's not really a helpful question, but asking more um, relevant questions like, okay, cool, you didn't, you didn't write down your assignment. Can you tell me a little bit about what was happening when you were supposed to be writing them down? Was something going on? And you'll learn that like, you know, so-and-so had this person sitting next to them and they kept like throwing a piece of paper at them and it was really hard. And, and then you're ending up, you know, possibly punishing for something that could very well not be their fault or could be something that's not in their control that they need help figuring out how to control like the fact that they're distractible and need that routine or need the teacher to sign off on stuff. So when you're asking the right questions and just getting to know more about what happened around a certain event that you only see the outcome of, you'll get to understand what you need to do to help your child. And then you'll, you know, that's your like setting them up for success because when you address the root issue, then they can figure out what to do in future problems. Madonna and I talked about this before, about how we want our kids to know that we're on the same team. And we use that phrase a lot in our family where I will say, remember, I'm on your side in this. Like we're on the same team and we're working to do this for your benefit, right? So remind yourself that it's not us versus them. Like it's not the kids and the parents in a battle. It's the parents and the kids together working towards the kids' future, working towards their goals, working towards their growth. And so, you know, when you ask questions, as Manana said, you're asking better questions, make sure that you're thinking about that phrase, the questions, not like, why didn't you do this? Or what's wrong with you? Or, um, your, your child is not your enemy. Your child is, is, um, your, your biggest ally and you are their biggest ally actually in life. And I want to point out too, that it matters their perception of events too. Like there, I remember specifically this one kid didn't want to do anything I told him. And it seemed like it was just oppositional. It seemed like, you know, he was just being stubborn and really, he just thought I didn't like him. I don't know why, but it caused me to think really hard about what I was doing in the classroom with him. But it mattered his perception of that, even though I'm fairly certain I didn't do anything, but to him, it felt like he was being singled out. And to me, I felt like I was singling him out because he wasn't listening. So when we we're able to take away that power struggle that we talked about before and say, you know, me and you we're together. Like, I want you to succeed. I want to see you do well. I don't want to see you in trouble. I don't want to see you not. And, and you want to be able to do your work and you want to learn. When we got on the same team, things took such a much better turn in the classroom. And the kids are the same way. Your kids are the same way. They don't want to feel like they walk into your house and they're in the prison, right? Like now is playtime, now is food time, now is work time. They don't need that kind of uh, guidance. What they need is a mentor, like we talked about, a coach, which is what we are. We're not their, we are their authorities in some ways, but really they want us to guide them as much as possible. I remember one of the tricks I learned as a high school teacher was when you get into 
an argument with a kid, things are getting explosive. The steps, and I don't know if we discussed this before, but you want to take them out of the room so that they're not in under the eyes of their peers. You don't want to, this to be like a public blowout, right? So you tell them to step outside. And then when you have them outside, you don't launch into a lecture. You just ask, what's wrong? This is so unlike you, right? And that's something Abuna always says. He's always like, why, why aren't you cooperating? You're the most helpful kid I know. You know, like um, assuming the best about our kids, highlighting their positive traits, and then when something is wrong, asking what's wrong, not making it like an accusation. Not assuming, yeah, not assuming that they're out to antagonize us mm-hmm. um, or that they're just like awful. They're not awful. They're your children. They're, they're your offspring. <laughs> they're wonderful. The, really, the, the takeaway here, though, Laura, is that, you know, our kids are so different. And we've, we've said this at least a billion times. Our kids are so different, even within our families, like two kids are very, very different, right? They don't, they don't learn the same way. They don't take orders the same way. They don't participate the same way. They're just different. And so that's why observing is so important. Once you get to know the triggers for your kids, the motivations for your kids, all of those things are really important in getting to understand how to best help them and for them to best understand themselves because the goal is for them to be independent, right? The goal is for them to get to know themselves and be able to work not with us telling them what they're supposed to be doing, but for them to be able to be like, okay, here is what's set out before me that I need to do. So for now I need to do A, B, and C. So what we really just want to encourage you, right, is that you know your kid best And listen, they were given to you because you are best prepared at taking care of them. God literally said this parent and this kid go together. So he trusted you. And so one of the key factors here is you need to just trust him back. And I'm telling myself this too. I need to trust him back. And then over all of this, pray, 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 pray over your kids, for your kids, with your kids, submit those prayer requests, pray with friends for each other's kids all the prayers, right? I remember growing up, my parents, all they did was pray for us, right? And I really feel like we owe our whole lives to those prayers. And so if we can just pray for our kids and get to know our kids, trust yourself, you know your kid best. And when you feel like you really are at the end and you don't know, there are plenty of wonderful resources out there that can help you figure out what you need to do with your kid and for your kid. With that being said, thank you all so much for joining us today on this week's episode of Raising Up Cops. You can find us at raisingupcops.com and email us at raisingupcops at gmail.com. Looking forward to next time. Raising Up Cops is a podcast hosted by Laura Michael and Madonna Lewindy. None of the views expressed during this recording are the official stance of the Coptic Church or its hierarchy. These are purely our personal opinions, collected experiences, and organic discussions on selected topics. If you would like to reach out with any questions or comments, please email raisingupcopts at gmail.com or post on the Coptic Dad and Mom Parenting Community on Facebook.